Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right. Thanks, Kent. Uh, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, As Kent said, my name is Eric, and I am a pastor in training here at City Church. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to do that at some point. Um, If you want to go ahead and turn with me, if you've got a Bible with you or near you, to Deuteronomy 24. Um, So this is week three of a series that we have been going through called Give Like God. Uh, We've been exploring how God's generosity toward us should be making us into generous people. Uh, So the first week, Kent talked about the realities of greed and materialism and how uh, if if we aren't keeping an eye on those things, uh, they can actually completely derail the way that we think about money and possessions. Uh, He also talked a little bit about debt and buying things that we don't need with money that we don't have. Uh, And then last week, uh, Marcus talked about what the Bible calls stewardship. Uh, It's this idea that everything we have uh, ultimately belongs to God anyways. So in light of that, uh, we should be managing what he has given us in ways that he wants it managed, because in reality, it's his in the first place. Um, So this week, we are going to just talk really practically uh, about ways that we should be living Uh, the things that we have talked about in the last two weeks, so how our lives can reflect some of those things that we've talked about. So to do that, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 24. Like I said, uh, hopefully you've had a chance to get there. Uh, If you're you're not using an app, I know uh, the Old Testament can be a little hard to navigate, Uh, so I want to make sure I give you time. But I'm going to read the whole passage all the way through, and then I'm going to go back through and I'm going to talk through it in a little more detail. So just as a disclaimer, Uh, I don't know if you were just listening to Kent when he was reading this passage. Uh, It may seem a little bit random at first, a little confusing, but we can work through it together. So let's start in verse 19. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, you know, we all forget a sheaf every now and then, right? So you shall not go back to get it. It says, uh, it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, like we all do, right, Uh, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So no explanation needed, right? You guys are good. Everybody's clear on how this applies to you today. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's pray real quick. No, I'm I'm just kidding, obviously. Um, But on a more serious note, um, what what should we do with ancient passages like this one when we come across them, right? They can be confusing. So I, I want us to see if we can figure out how some of these ancient words about sheaves and olive trees and vineyards have to do uh, with money and possessions today and generosity today. 
So I think there's a lot in here that's actually really helpful when it comes to how we view our money and our possessions. But it does take a little work to figure it all out. So let's give it a shot. Uh, first, as we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, and we've talked about it a little bit uh, every week, in a lot of ancient cultures, including the, the one that Deuteronomy was written to, land and crops were essentially the same as uh, money or capital in your life, which meant if you own land and your crops were going successfully, to some degree, uh, you were doing pretty well financially, right? So in this passage, God has in mind people that on some level have wealth, not necessarily crazy wealth, they don't have to be exorbitantly rich, just some degree of financial stability. Probably similar to a lot of us in the room right now, or uh, maybe the families that a lot of us grew up in, uh, but it's, it's pretty similar to, to where we are. So if you were one of these people in this time period, uh, when you reaped your fields that you owned, you would gather as much as you could in each trip. So if it was olives, you would go through and you would bring in as many as you could. When you gathered grapes from your vineyard, uh, you would go through and you would bring in as many as possible. And you'd bring them all in, and then you would go out and you would repeat that process. Right? You'd go out a second time, a third time, a fourth time, maybe a fifth time, until literally every last grape, every last olive was brought in and gathered. Right? Because if crops were your income, anything that you left out in the field was just unrealized wealth. Right? Unrealized income that you just left out there. It's money that you could have in your pocket, but you basically just threw it away. You just left it out there. Uh, so the normal way of doing things, obviously, would be to go back out as many times as it took until there wasn't a single thing left on any tree or any vine or anything like that. But God comes along and he says to these people, you know what? Don't even go back a second time. Right? Gather what you can in one trip. And then just leave the rest out there. Don't go back. Leave it there so people who need it can come by and they can take it. Don't gather as much as you possibly can. No, in, in fact, intentionally gather less than you could gather so that you can leave it for someone who needs it. Now, let's put that in more modern terms. Let's say you run a business. Uh, and somebody walks in as a consultant or a, a customer with some advice. So let's say you own a restaurant here in Knoxville. Right? Somebody comes in and they say, all right, here's what you need to do. Uh, every night from 5 to 7 p.m., operate as normal. Sell, sell food, sell drinks, normal prices for everything, do your thing. Uh, but then starting at 7 o'clock, anything you have left, just like cook it all until it's gone and just give it to whoever walks in the door. Right? How would you respond? I would laugh at them. Right? And then I would charge them double because that's terrible advice. <laughs> but, but that's not too far off from what God's describing here. Right? Who, who does business like this? Who thinks about their money and their income this way? This is, I mean, this is completely absurd from a business standpoint, right? God is, quite frankly, being pretty uncapitalistic, right? Uh, but God says, this is how I want my people to view their resources, I want you to gather what you can, earn what you can, and then I want you to leave the rest for the sojourner, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the people who need it to have it. So you might be thinking, sure, uh, but that's then, right? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for my finances today? Right? I don't have any fields. I don't have any olive trees. I don't, I don't have a vineyard. Uh, but as a side note, 
if you have a vineyard, let me know. That would be great to have a friend with a vineyard. I am not opposed to that in the least. Uh, but the question might be, what, what can I glean from a passage like this? Well, that's a great question. I'm so glad that I pretended you asked. That's great. Uh, so here is what I think God would propose for us today. Uh, if, we, if we transposed it into our culture, from their culture, uh, I think that he is saying that we shouldn't try to squeeze every last penny out of our available income to purchase and invest in as much as we can for ourselves, but rather we should use what we need and then give the rest to people who truly need it. Right? He's suggesting that we don't need to spend every single dollar we make on ourselves. But this is a difficult concept to grasp, right? Myself included. I, I wrestle with this. So first something uh, just to think about that I thought was really interesting. Even though we live in the most affluent society in history, we tend to not be very good at managing our affluence, right? There's some statistics that I want to give you. So first, 85% of Americans have less than $250 in available savings when they reach age 65. That means, on their own, if they started working when they were 20, that person was able to save about $6 a year. Let that sink in for a second. Right? Why does that happen? How can we be so financially wealthy as a society and yet so very bad at managing our wealth? Well, I would argue that it's because for most of us, uh, just like the man or the family in this, in this passage that goes and collects every last grape off the vine, um, we too push our income to its absolute limits, right? And this is something that we're trained to believe in America. All of us are, are susceptible to this. No one, no one is exempt. This is something that is everywhere, so I don't want you to hear that as, as, as guilt or shame on you individually. This is something that I just want you to see is, is a broad picture for all of us. This is something that we are taught to believe. We're told, we're told things like, if I can afford, at the most, $900 a month in rent, awesome. I'm going to rent a place for $900, bucks, right? Not including utilities, because that's going to come somewhere, but it's going to be fine. Uh, Let's say I'm eligible for a $20,000 car loan, right? That's the max that I can get. Looks like I'm getting a $20,000 car, right? Uh, if I find myself with a few extra $100 laying around, guess who's getting a new TV, right? It's me. No, but we tend to push our income to its absolute limits. We tend to squeeze out the, the maximum lifestyle or, or the most luxurious lifestyle that we can with what we have or whatever our income will allow us to do, and then probably a little bit more on a credit card or a loan or something. Uh, just to give an example of, of this being in our society, uh, so my wife Sarah and I bought a house a couple years ago. Um, so when we were looking into it, I knew what our income was. Uh, I knew what I felt like we should budget for housing expenses and how much we wanted to pay monthly on, our, on our, all of our payments, how much I, w I felt comfortable spending. So we did what anyone would do. We went to a lender, right? Because most people, myself included, don't just waltz up and pay cash for a house. Right? That's not something that, that most people are able to do or willing to do. Um, so knowing our income, knowing all of that, uh, 
uh, we went to them and we expected them to give them a number, give us a number of what they were comfortable lending us, or what I would be comfortable lending anyone. Um, boy, was I off. Right? They, they pre-approved us for astronomically more than I was comfortable taking. Right? I, I knew, like I said, what I was comfortable paying each month. I knew what our budget was. And if I bought a house with what they pre-approved us for, our monthly payment would be almost double what I budgeted. But because, fortunately, I had some people around me with wisdom, I had had people who, who taught me how to be wise financially to some degree, and I knew what I felt comfortable with, um, we only looked for houses that I felt like were in our budget. But uh, that, that's not what they cared about, right? Plenty of people don't do that as well. Plenty of people go out, they get the highest loan approval that they can, and then they go and buy a house at the very absolute top of that limit, not including utilities, again, and all the other costs that come with a house and all of those things, and then they spend the bulk of their time going forward trying to figure out how to make their budget work uh, with this huge monthly payment that they can't handle. And listen, this happens all over the place. Uh, I, I want to make sure everyone is aware of this. Lenders are going to do this. Uh, they're going to they're gonna try to tell you that you can afford things that you, that you probably can't afford or you shouldn't be affording, and you'll end up paying more because of it, right? And that's the point, that they're a business, they're trying to make money, and so that's how it's going to work. Uh, but this happens with, with house loans, this happens with car loans, it's all over the place. None of us are immune, none of us are exempt. So I, I just want to make sure I'm painting the picture like this is ingrained in the very fabric of our country. And we're not just doing this with, with big stuff like cars and houses. Uh, we do it with a lot of other things, too, as a society. Uh, just about everything uh, in, our, in our economic world today can be on a payment plan these days. Right? You, may have, you may have heard about some of these. Um, but I was, I was reading an article last week uh, that said more than a third of all U.S. consumers have used a buy now, pay later company in the last year. Um, so... That wasn't too shocking to me, um, but the most interesting thing to me was what the, the things on the list in order of what was most commonly used with a buy now, pay later plan, and it was personal electronics and clothing. Those were the two. Not big stuff, like a car or furniture, things like that. Like you could buy a nice jacket or something, you could, you could pay for it using one of these companies and then pay it back in these installments over time. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with this concept, right? Especially if it's something uh, that you need or, or depending on your circumstances, all of those things. But here's something that really stuck out to me. Uh, I found out that you can do payment plans at Urban Outfitters for items priced as low as $35. $35 on a payment plan. Uh, might I suggest, if you need to pay for a $35 item at Urban Outfitters on a payment plan, you probably shouldn't buy it, just as a tip. And as a, I mean, as a side note, $35 at Urban gets you like a scarf or like a shirt that's had most of the material cut off anyways, so it's not, it's not worth it, just don't do it. But, but here's my point, all of this, payment plan, plans included, is evidence of how we tend to think about our income as Americans, all of us, we tend to think, what's the nicest thing that I can afford? What's the, what's the most that I can possibly get out of, my, out of my money? What is the most luxurious item I can get 
based on my income. Because obviously that is what I need, right? So we push our income to its absolute limits. Uh, another way that I would put this is that I think our standard of living increases in proportion to our income. Um, for, for many Americans, uh, our standard of living actually increases ahead of our income. Uh, that's where debt usually comes from. Uh, but for the majority of us, I think our standard of living uh, at least tends to increase in proportion to our income. So we get a raise, right? We buy a bigger house. We get a higher paying job, we buy a nicer car. Generally speaking, when we make a little more money, our expenses will swell to match that money. If not surpass it, you know, which we see all the time. Uh, this is just how we tend to operate, right? We, we don't even think about it. We, don't even, we just assume that that is the way to do things. But what often happens with that is that over time, things that, that used to be wants transform into needs, right? Things, things that we thought would be, would be nice to have if we had the money becomes things that we have to have because we have the money. Could-haves become must-haves. So I've seen this play out in my own life. Uh, so when I was in college, uh, my senior year, I worked as an intern at a church. My total income, total, before taxes for the whole year was $10,000 in a year, which, believe it or not, is not illegal, <laughs> which something is up for debate, whether it should be. Um, but I will say, uh, at the time, I did not live on campus. I did not have a meal plan or any of those things. I lived in a house with five other guys. We all split rent, which is one of the reasons that that worked. Uh, I didn't, uh, so all of my financial needs had to be met in that $10,000 bubble that I had. So to say things were tight is a, just a little bit of an understatement. Uh, I have some great stories about that if you ever want to hear them, uh, but not, not for right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, right, I could eat. I had a roof over my head. I could pay my bills, the, the ones that I had. I was, I was doing okay. I was, I was doing fine. So let's fast forward uh, a, a little over a year later. Uh, my income had increased substantially. Right? I had finished school, I got a job that paid at least three times what I was making before, uh, I got married to, to Sarah, who also had a job, uh, but at that time, when I would look over our budget, my thought would always be, I just don't have enough money for all the things that I need, right? I just don't have enough money. Uh, but here's the thing, even if I felt that was true, it was it, it was a factually inaccurate statement, right? I know that because I had previously lived off $10,000 in a year. So it was incorrect for me to think that I didn't have everything that I needed with my new income. So what happened? Uh, why, was, why was that enough at one point, and now what I had was nowhere near enough? It's because my standard of living had changed, right? What I thought I needed changed. It had increased alongside my income. So I had decided that certain things uh, were needs that really weren't in reality. There were things that I added onto my life at some point because I had margin to do it. And then as time passed, I'd begun to operate as if those things were absolutely necessary in my life and they weren't just wants. As if they were must-haves instead of could-haves. Does that make sense? 
So I would, I would be willing to bet uh, there are things like that for a lot of us, right? I, I bet there are things right now in our regular monthly expenses that we have convinced ourselves are needs that actually aren't needs. There, there are things that we once were completely content without, and now we're, we're convinced that we can't function without it. And I don't pretend to know what those things are for, for everyone in the room. Maybe, maybe for you it's, it's Starbucks every day on the way to work or on the way to class. Maybe uh, it's a Netflix subscription. Maybe uh, it's going out to eat for lunch every day uh, during the week. Maybe it's a certain brand name of clothing. Uh, maybe it's a certain amount of new clothing that you would buy each year. Uh, maybe it's always ordering, ordering a beer or a drink or two every time you go out to eat. Whatever it is, uh, it, it may not be a bad thing at all, right? It, it may just be something that you started buying at one point because you could, and then it went from a could-have to a must-have. And now it's just it's so difficult to imagine life without it, right? And doing that can be harmless. Just to give a disclaimer, that can be harmless. But it isn't harmless at all when it gets in the way of generosity or when it prevents generosity. Right? Because here's what so often happens. We've, we've pushed our income to its absolute limits and then an opportunity for generosity comes up and our responses in that moment is often, it's often to conclude, oh, we just can't, right? We just can't do it. We, we look at our budget and because we pushed our income to its absolute limits already, our budget really does seem to tell us that we can't afford to be generous. But all that's happened is that we've set up our budget and handled our money in a way that prevents us from being generous. Right? In other words, it's, it's not that I can't afford to be generous. It's I can't afford to live the way I'm currently living and also be generous. And those are two very different things. Right? So when we say or we think, you know, I just, I can't, be generous. Let me just ask uh, all of us to be very clear about what we mean. Uh, so I, I'm not, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm not trying to say what I'm saying to shame or condemn anyone at all, but just to make sure that, that we are being completely honest with ourselves about what we're saying. Uh, when we say, I can't be generous, do we mean we actually can't? Do we literally mean I do not have the ability to be generous and still have my need met? Or do we actually mean I can't afford to be generous and still have my preferred lifestyle? Right, do, we, do we actually mean I can't be generous and also afford the latest iPhone on a payment plan? Do we actually mean I can't afford, afford to be generous and still buy all of the brand name clothes that I like? Do we actually mean, I, you know what, I can't afford to be generous and still have my $150 a month cable package with all the sports channels? Do, do we mean, I can't afford to be generous and also make sure that I'm saving and investing more for myself? So let me be completely clear. There may be some of us in the room who are in a place where you literally cannot afford to be generous. And like I've said before, that, that's one thing. And if that is you and you're in a place of need, please talk to someone, talk to us, ask someone. And we want to make sure that people's needs are met. But I would be willing to bet that for most of us, what we actually mean when we say that we can't be generous 
is that our standard of living that we've decided on actually prevents us from being generous. So there's a huge difference between need and inconvenience. Right? Do you see that? So here's where we get back into Deuteronomy 24. Um, so I need you to see that, that that approach to our income, when we push our income to its absolute limits, is precisely how God is encouraging people not to think about their possessions and their finances in this passage. So what some of us do with our budgets is, is actually uh, very similar to what the people in Deuteronomy were doing with their fields, right? And, and what we're doing isn't just the equivalent of going back and getting crops a, a second time. It's the equivalent of going back a, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth time until every single one of those grapes and olives is gone. Right? For some of us, it's the equivalent of, of taking out loans on the production of our crops for 5, 10, 20 years into the future. Right? So even though there is, there's obviously some cultural differences between, between this world and ours, but we have the exact same tendencies as they did. Right? We want to push our wealth to its absolute limits and then conclude from there that generosity is just not feasible. Right? But it, it is feasible. Right? And Deuteronomy says, here's how to make sure that it's feasible. Take a look at how this passage encourages us to handle our wealth instead. Look back with me, uh, starting in verse 19. <clears throat> when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. So there's a refrain in this passage, right? Did you catch it? Three separate times. Uh, when it says what God's people should do instead of gathering everything they can, instead of pushing their income to its limits, here's what it says they should do instead, right? That they should leave the extra in their fields for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Right? The sojourner, fatherless, and the widow. So these people, uh, these people groups belong to what theologians call the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, I won't unpack all of that in detail, but the point is that these were groups of people who were especially vulnerable in the ancient world. They were all extremely vulnerable to hunger, starvation, even death. So Deuteronomy says that God's people should leave their extra in the fields for them. And I want you to look at the language that it uses. It says the extra in the fields is for them. Right? It's for those groups of people. Not just that it would be nice to give it to them. Right? Not that we should consider sharing it if we feel so led. Right? No, it's, it says the extra in the fields after gathering once is for them to have. Uh, in, other, in other words, in God's eyes, uh, it rightfully belongs to those vulnerable, vulnerable groups of people. Now that messes with us a bit, doesn't it? God's saying that some of the stuff in my field that I grew, that I watered, is for someone else? 
Those are strong words, right? Especially considering so many people's perspective in America today and at this time too. But that's what it says, right? According to Deuteronomy, there is a portion of our income that is not for us, but rather for the express purpose of generosity. And specifically, generosity towards those that we know are in need. So back then it was the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. Uh, Today it might be something like uh, the refugee, the foster child, the single parent. One way or another, there are people in our world with less than us. Many of whom are in need. And God says, point blank, some of what you have is for them. Right? And it, it doesn't just say, be generous when those needs come to your attention. Right? It says, leave your fields ungathered in advance for them. So this right here, this is why we say all the time up here, budget for generosity. Right? Don't just say, I'll be generous uh, when the time comes. Right? Plan for it. Have an amount in your monthly budget that you are not allowed to touch unless it's to bless somebody else. An amount that is not for you at all. That's what Deuteronomy is talking about here. This is what it looks like to see a portion of our money as being for others, for generosity. So that being said, Uh, Here's how I think we might want to put it into practice or put into practice a passage like this one. Um, I think a lot of this simply has to do with how we think about our standard of living. It looks like setting a standard of living that you will not go above. Uh, It's learning the art of saying, I would love to live this way, but I really only need to live this way. Practically speaking, uh, here are a few suggestions on how to curb your standard of living. Um, If you came to the budget class last week, some of this is going to be a bit of a a review, but that's still helpful. So first, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this equation for me. When it comes to your budget, your income minus mandatory expenses minus generosity equals discretionary expenses. So when you sit down with your budget, you sit down and you say, here's my income, right? Here's what I bring in. And then you take out the mandatory expenses, right? This would be things like rent or, or mortgage or utilities, groceries. Uh, just to be clear, this would not be things like Netflix, a massive dining out budget, a cable subscription, elaborate vacations. Those are not mandatory expenses. Those are discretionary expenses, I think most of us probably know that, but I just want to make sure. Um, Also something that I think is worth noting that we gloss over a lot of the time, uh, not all of your mandatory expenses are necessarily at mandatory levels. Does that make sense? So let me me explain it a little bit more. Um, Everybody needs groceries, right? Got to eat. Everybody needs food. Uh, That is a mandatory expense. But, I would argue, if you spend $600 a month per person on groceries, that is not a mandatory level 
on a mandatory expense. Right? Does that make sense? Uh, if we need a place to live, everybody has to live somewhere. But I would say if 60% of your income goes towards housing costs, it's not a mandatory level. Right? So once you've written down all your mandatory expenses uh, and nothing else, you ask the question, what's left over and who should it be for? Who are people that I know of in our city, in our world, who have less than they need? And how much of this leftover money can I designate for them? Right? And then, and only then, we can ask the question, what are some wants that I have? What are some discretionary expenses that I could have? You do that last, not first, which is where most of us have been trained to go, myself included. And I, I think that's a really practical way of learning to say, I want this, but I really only need this. So if you're wondering what your standard of living should be, uh, here's what I think is a good rule of thumb. I've said this before, but if you're a follower of Jesus, your standard of living should be lower than a person who makes the same amount of money as you and doesn't follow Jesus. I've, I've said this before, it bears repeating. If there's a person you work with who, who makes the same amount of money as you, generally speaking, your, your house should probably be a little bit smaller, right? Your car should be a little bit older. And I know there are obviously going to be some exceptions and some caveats for these things, but generally speaking, that is a good rule of thumb to follow. If you follow Jesus, that means you are called to see and use your money and possessions differently, and there should be some ways that that is apparent in your life. Um, so another thing that you may want to consider to work on this uh, is what, what is called graduated generosity. Um, so graduated generosity, I think I, w I heard a pastor talking about it one time. He said each year he increases not only the amount of his income that he gives away, but the percentage of his income that he gives away. So let's say uh, this year he gave 15% of his income away. Next year he, he tries to give 17% of his income away. Right? He, he does that because he wants to ensure that his in, as his income increases, his standard of living doesn't just inherently increase with it. And this can be, if it's, if it's starting at 15% where you are right now and going up from there, that's great. If it's starting from not doing it to, to 1% and then 2%, it's small, manageable steps to be able to get to this place of budgeting for generosity. Right? So for most of us, our income uh, will, will likely increase over the course of our life. But that, that doesn't necessarily mean that our lifestyle should always automatically increase with it. Right? So as a way of guarding against that happening, you may want to consider cons consistently increasing not just the amount, but the percentage of your income that you give away as a safeguard. Uh, another person that I know <clears throat> he determines how much money he will give away uh, using, using Jesus' template of love your neighbor as yourself. Right? His thinking is that if Jesus tells us to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves, that means I should be giving away as much as I'm spending on myself. Right? So if I have 
set aside for my own discretionary spending, well, that means I should give away at least $75 to somebody else. Right? So all of these, these are just suggestions. These are ways that people think about this to try to, to do what Deuteronomy is saying in, in budgeting for generosity. Um, I know thinking about our income can seem radical uh, or, or overwhelming if you're not accustomed to it, right? So, like I said, feel free to start small. Make it manageable. Uh, but I think regardless of our specific approach, we should examine the things that we need and the things that are actually wants in our life. I think we should all ask if there are areas that we're pushing our income to its limits, squeezing every last penny out of our income for ourselves, and then ask what it would look like to see some of that money being for others, like the verses in Deuteronomy talk about. And listen, this is something that I have to wrestle with as well, that I battle with, that I constantly have to check myself on, and I know I will going forward as well. But I want to make sure with all of this, it can sound really difficult and, and it can sound convicting, at least for me. I don't want us to skip over why, right? I don't want to skip over why God's people are called to see things this way. So take a look at the last verse in our passage today. Um, so here's the motivation given for why God wants his people to see it this way. Let's look at verse 22. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So, a long story made very short uh, for those who are not familiar. God's people were once all enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt, the entire nation. But God, by his grace, rescued them out of slavery, led them through the wilderness into freedom. And he generously provided them with everything that they needed along the way. That's the, that's the story that this verse is encouraging them to remember. So God, in asking his people to provide generously for the poor, is not asking his people to do anything he hasn't already done for them. God is simply asking them to provide for others in the same way that they have been provided for. He's asking people to respond to his generosity with their own generosity. God provided for them when they had nothing. So he wants them to provide for people who have nothing. He's saying provide for the sojourner. Because remember, you were a sojourner, and I provided for you. Right? God's generosity is the motivation for their generosity. Right? And, and in a really similar way, uh, God is not calling us to anything he hasn't already done. Right? All of us are called to live generously in light of God's generosity towards us. By, by committing to live with less than we could, we are actually remembering and we're reminding ourselves of God's generosity. 
Uh, it's one thing for us to say God provides, right? We say that. Any of us can say it. Uh, it's another thing entirely to live as if God provides, right? We could say it all day, but until our lives reflect it, do we actually believe that to be true? It's an entirely different thing to live as if God so provides that we don't need to squeeze every single penny out of what, what we make to provide for ourselves. Right? It's another thing entirely to provide for others in the same way that you believe God provides for you. That's what we're being invited into. Right? We're being invited into radical generosity that reflects the generosity of God. As we wrap up, I, I also want to remind everyone um, that even though we are brought into new life, uh, that doesn't mean that we don't still feel and experience the effects of the old life. Right? God took the Israelites out of Egypt, but they still struggled for years afterwards. They struggled believing in God's faithfulness. They struggled with following what God had for them. They wrestled with God and they wrestled with the old way of living. Right? And, and God has rescued us out of materialism and greed and the tendency to try to do everything for ourselves. But that process takes years. Right? That doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that happens immediately. It is a process that we participate in that we participate in with a hope for the future, an assurance of the future, a hope that God promises to us, right? So my, my, my prayer for us, my encouragement for us is that we would remember God's unbelievable generosity towards us and that in response to that, we would reflect that generosity, that we would reflect that generosity to people who are around us, Right? So let's, let's pray together to that end. God, we, um, yeah, first, first we just want to thank you for your unbelievable generosity towards us um, in providing for us, but in more than that, in, in sending your son to, to die so that we could be made right with you. Um, yeah, that, that is a, a generosity that we can, we can scarcely comprehend. Um, and I pray that, that we would continue to grow to be people who, who don't just uh, marvel at that generosity or talk about that generosity or give thanks for that generosity, that it wouldn't stop there, but that it, that would motivate us to move to generosity. That we could put you on display, your love on display, your generosity on display to people around us by the way that we live. And through our own radical generosity towards others. God, I, I pray that we would uh, continue to be shaped by your spirit, that we would be shaped by your word, that we would 
grow in our understanding of this um, and that we would, we would grow in our convictions, that, that we would be moved to, to make changes in our lives um, and make sacrifices in our lives to be able to get to a place where we can put your generosity on display. And I pray that we can, um, that we can work together as a, as a family, um, as a body that you have called us to be together, that we would be able to encourage one another in that process, um, that we would be able to come alongside each other in that process, that we would be able to reflect that generosity to each other when, when any one of us is in need, um, and that it would just be an ingrained part of our life, that it wouldn't even be a second thought, that we would, that we would be people that, that operate uh, just from a mindset of trying to find needs that we can help meet as a family. Um, yeah, I just pray against the, the temptation um, to, th to think that, that everything we have is for ourselves, and I want to I pray against the tendency uh, in myself and in anyone else who feels it, the, the feeling of uh, just feeling like it could be overwhelming to think about generosity to think about generosity in this way, to feel like it's just an unattainable thing. Um, and I just want to pray against those lies uh, that, we're, that we're so quick to believe. Um, yeah, and the, the truth of, of your generosity, of, of your, just of your nature and of your spirit, that, that those truths would saturate our lives and our minds and our hearts and that... Um, we would look to you to be the guiding principles of our life and not, um, not to our economic system, not to our political system, not to any of those things, but our life would be, would be governed and steered by you and by your truth. Um, yeah, that we would be able to put you on display through the way that we live. We thank you that we have the opportunity to do that, and we thank you that we have a reason to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.